Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of Luke, chapters 18 and 19. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Jesus was upset by the corruption, the excessive extortion that had come to surround the commercial activities being carried out right within the temple precinct. This is a den of thieves. This is a den of robbers. And the high priest has ordered it, allowed it. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 2, Jesus himself is our peace. He who has made the two groups one, who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Take that wall down. If a Gentile crossed over that wall, he could be killed. Pilgrims were exploited by the money changers who were charging an inflated rate, ripping the people off with a high money exchange. Merchants were selling animals that the people had to have for worship at Passover. They were selling them for exorbitant prices. And Jesus is reminding his followers what he preached just the chapter before in Luke 16. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Also, Zechariah had a vision of the Messianic Age, and Zechariah in 14.21 said, There shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. That fulfills that too. Jesus is driving them out, the Messiah, the Messianic time is now, it's here. No traitors in the temple. The sacrificial system, which was at the heart of Judaism, would soon become obsolete because the final sacrifice would be the Lamb of God. There will be no need for any other animal sacrifices after Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice once for all. And the victim and the high priest and the sacrifice, all three. Temple was destroyed by the Romans, the Jewish temple by the Romans in 70 AD. There will be no more ever again animal sacrifice. And there hasn't been to this day. Jesus was teaching daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people sought to destroy him. And they did not find anything they could do. For all the people hung on his every word. How had Jesus entered into that city of David? City of David, that's what it's called. It's Jerusalem. It's the city set on a hill. It's the highest geographically in Israel. I will go up to the house of the Lord. Jesus drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. Bethphage and Bethany are two towns on the way. You know Bethany is where Lazarus lived. Bethphage is a little further up by the Mount of Olives. It's not there today, but that's where it was back then. Now there's a wall. And he said this, he went up ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite, that would be Bethphage, where you will enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, untie it and bring it here. That's a detail Luke gives us. In Bethphage, they're going to find a colt tied up, one which no one has ever sat on. Now, there is a Franciscan church there today, the Church of Bethphage. Bethphage means the house of early figs. Commit that to memory because I'll talk about that again. But the house of early figs located on the Mount of Olives. The palm procession for Palm Sunday starts here to this day at this church in Bethphage. And they have there the stone behind the iron grate there is the stone that Jesus used to mount the colt, to mount the donkey. 
Now, Jesus wasn't the first king to ride triumphantly into Jerusalem on a colt. King David's son Solomon had done the same thing. King David said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and cause Solomon, my son, to ride on my own mule. His wasn't a virgin colt. It was his own mule. And let Nathan the prophet there anoint Solomon, king of Israel, and blow the trumpet and say, long live Solomon. Jerusalem, Jerusalem means Shalom, Shalom means city of peace, abode of peace. And the name Salam dates way back to the early Bronze Age, but the first biblical mention is in Genesis 14, where Abraham meets mysterious priest Melchizedek. And in the ancient world, leaders rode horses. When they rode to war, it'd be a war horse. But if they rode a donkey, it means they're coming in peace, not war. So King Solomon, son of David, comes in peace on a mule to Jerusalem. King Jesus, son of David, comes in peace on a colt to Jerusalem. Jesus rode a colt which no one had ever sat on, says Luke. Animals that had never been sat on, they're never been yoked or broken, they are ritually clean, and they can be used for sacred or royal purpose. In Numbers and 1 Samuel, we see examples of that. So go into the village opposite, get the colt, which no one has ever sat on, bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, oh, the Lord has need of it. So someone's colt, they don't even know, they're going to go get it. So those were sent away, they found it, they did as he had told them, they were untying the colt. The owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And off they went. And they brought it to Jesus, and they were throwing their garments on the coat as Jesus sat upon it, and he rode along, and they spread their garments on the road. That also isn't the first time that ever happened. Because when Elisha anointed Yehu, king of Israel, the same thing, in haste the men took off their garments and laid it under him. Jesus was now drawing near the descent of Mount Olives. The whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God in a loud voice for all the mighty things they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know that is our Sanctus at Mass, our holy, 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 blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Sanctus means holy, holy, holy. Isaiah tells us, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Jesus' name means God saves salvation. Hosanna, save us, save us, save us, the people are crying. Some of the Pharisees in the multitude say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And those stones are still crying out today. They have not moved them. Their evidence of the destruction of the temple. Jesus was there. Messiah rode into that city. The stones are still speaking to us. Next, we see in 18, Luke 18, the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. He always tells us the reason for the parable. He told them a parable to the effect that they got always to pray and not lose heart. That's the moral. Always pray and don't lose heart. It's about a persistent widow and an unjust judge. And we know we have a just judge in God. He's perfectly just. Our Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. In the Old Testament, we see God as judge. In the New Testament, we see Jesus as judge. It says in John 5, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son, even as they honor the father. 
He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It's really his words that judge us. What you're studying, what you're living by, that's your plumb line of judgment. Do you listen to his words and obey them, or do you go against his words? Because that's the true judge. So we have to know his words. In the Nicene Creed, we say that he, Jesus, will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. And we blah, 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 blah. We just rattle it off and don't even think what that line means. He will come again in glory to judge. He told them a parable to always pray and not lose heart. Pray always. Don't lose heart. Remember that. Jesus said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God or regarded man. Oh, he sounds like a really good judge, doesn't he? Has no concern for human beings, for man. He doesn't fear God. I'm sure he's a wonderful judge. And there was a widow that in the city that kept coming to him and saying, Vindicate me against my adversary. Vindicate me. Widows had not a lot. She is trying to get a just judgment against someone, an adversary. She's going back and back and back and back. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Ah, though I neither fear God, again he says this, second time, I neither fear God nor do I regard man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will vindicate her, or she will wear me out with her continual coming. Well, praise the Lord, that widow had persistence. And the Lord said, hear what that unrighteous judge says, and will not God vindicate his elect who cry to him day and night? God's a just judge, not an unjust judge. God loves human dignity. God will hear he who calls to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will vindicate them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's an open-ended parable, like the parable of the prodigal son, the elder brother. We didn't know the rest of the story. That's for us. Will Jesus Christ find faith on earth when he calls you? when he comes for you, when you're the one taken, not the one left. God is a 100% just judge, slow to anger, kind in mercy. Now, the reason for that parable is remember, pray and don't lose heart. Listen to this quote. People who persist in prayer don't lose heart. People who lose heart don't persist in prayer. Prayer works. Pray always and don't lose heart. Next one, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The reason for the parable, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. Some translations say publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Did you see that? The Pharisee stood and prayed with himself. He's praying to himself, prayed thus with himself, not with God. He's telling himself how great he is, reassuring himself. God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector behind me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off 
would not even lift up his eyes to the heaven, but beat his breast. He beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's kind of like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Same idea. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors, the publicans and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Righteous Pharisees. He wants a broken spirit, a broken, contrite heart. God will not despise. Mary is very humble. We know that from Luke chapter 1 in her Magnificat. She prays that the Lord has scattered the proud in their imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. He exalted those of low degree, filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. An infant is the most humble and lowliest on the face of the earth. And Jesus Christ himself entered the world as an infant. It is the most humble thing you can possibly be. Because you can't do anything for yourself. You have to trust everybody. You're just a receiver. Reception, 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 reception. Help me, help me, help me. Jesus says they were bringing even infants to him. Luke's the only one, I think, that says infants, not children. Infants. Baby, baby, babies, infants. They brought him that he might touch them. They had at least a 50% mortality rate for infants. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. And Jesus called to them and said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to these belong the kingdom of God. Bringing infants to him. He says, For such belongs the kingdom of God. The world always wants to thwart the kingdom of God in our midst. It wants to destroy innocent lives. The world wants to. The world doesn't care about infants, the lowliest of God's creatures. The world doesn't care about the church. The world doesn't care about marriage. And the world doesn't care about innocent human life. Destroy it. And he rebukes that. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How does an innocent child receive the kingdom of God? Baptism. The parents take the infant baby to the church, who's the mama, open arms of the Marian church, the bride of Christ, they take for baptism. The baby 100% receives, can't do anything, doesn't brag, doesn't boast, doesn't do all these spiritual works, it just receives the grace of God infused into their soul. Baptism is the gateway into the kingdom of God like an infant. This is a wonderful apologetic for infant baptism. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he juxtaposes that with the rich man. Next, how is the disposition of an infant different than the disposition of a rich ruler? The rich ruler asked him, good teacher, What shall I do to inherit the kingdom of God? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Should I write a check? What should I do? What should I do? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Do, 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 do. And he said, all these things I've done, I've observed from my youth. And Jesus heard it and said, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. This scripture hit the heart of Anthony of Egypt, hit the heart of Francis. 
He heard this and he became very sad because he was rich. That's the vertical and the horizontal that make up the cross. The horizontal is how you treat others. And the vertical is how you relate with God. What is your relationship with God? He's doing all the horizontal. I did that, 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 I did that. But follow me. Develop your relationship with me. Go vertical. Jesus is looking at him and says how hard it is for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. You're attached to those worldly things, those comforts. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. You've done, you've done, you've done, you've done. But have you taken time between managing all your properties? Have you taken time to be with me, to develop a friendship with me? That's what I want. I want your heart. Come follow me. Get rid of all the stuff. That's going to all pass away anyway. Come with me. Follow me. And he went away sad. Rich people can get very self-sufficient. And they don't think they need a personal relationship with God. This isn't something you can write a check for. This takes time. This takes prayer. And those who heard it said, but who can be saved? And, And he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, well, we've left everything. We've left our homes to follow you. Truly, I say to you, there is no man who has left house or wife or brothers or children or parents for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive manifold more in his time and in this age to come in eternal life. It's not about this world. It's about the next. This is a flash in the pan. Here today, gone tomorrow. One taken, one left. Taking the 12, he gives that third foretelling of his death and resurrection this time. He tells it so point blank and it goes right over their head. None of them even know what he said. He said, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that the prophet said is going to be accomplished. I will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me, treat me, spit on me, scourge me, kill me. On the third day, I will rise. And they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he was saying. And he said it three times already. And then we meet Zacchaeus, the wee little man. And wee little man was he, and he climbed into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You know that song when you were little? Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. That was, he was the head of the head. He, he's the big kahuna tax collector. He gets even a bigger cut. And he climbed into the tree because he was so small, and Jesus was passing by. Now, now he doesn't want to miss his visitation, does he? So much so that this grown man would climb up into a tree. He wants to see this guy. And Jesus came to the place and looked up and said, Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down. I must stay at your house today. So he made haste. Oh, boy, did he make haste. And he came down and received him joyfully. And he has a metanoia, almost an instant conversion. Different than the rich man who walked away sad. This little rich man... This little rich man's having a big metanoia. And when they saw it, they all murmured, well, he's going to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood by the Lord and said, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. I will, anything when I've defrauded, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Immediately, he wants to do something. He wants to make restitution for his sin. He's so touched by Jesus Christ. He has changed immediately. It's an immediate conversion. This can happen, folks. It's a metanoia. He's in the presence of Jesus, and he changes instantly. Change in one's way of life resulting from penitence or spiritual conversion. What Jesus invoked of people was metanoia, repentance, and a complete change of heart. 
And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. And he's salvation. Jesus saves. Salvation. Jesus has come to his house today. He too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man did what? Came to seek and save what was lost. Like the lost sheep. Like the lost coin. The image of God. The divine image restored. And like the prodigal son. Another conversion took a little longer than Zacchaeus. But another one that was lost and was found. Jesus tells one more parable. This is the last one I'll cover today. In the parables, they're funny. There's hyperbole, analogy, idiom, metaphor, humor, allegory. So on this, my 57th birthday, I thought I will write my own parable. (laughs) So let me give it a try on you. There was a woman who went away to a faraway land with a desire to become a queen. She got her wish in the faraway land of menopause. Or she became a royal queen bee. Now, I don't know what you guys were thinking, but I meant this kind of bee. I don't know what you were thinking. This is an idiom. This is a hyperbole to show you how parables work. You can catch a lot more souls with honey than vinegar, you know. In the land of menopause, she had hot flashes galore. She had horrible migraine headaches. Her hair started falling out and more hot flashes. She had a difficult time sleeping. More hot flashes. She finally sent word to her husband, the king. I'm still hot, but it just comes in flashes now. (laughs) Then one day, the Lord gave her an extra five pounds. And she easily increased it to ten pounds with great ease. So he blessed her with another ten pounds. And she easily multiplied that to twenty pounds. And the Lord said, you have greatly increased the pounds which I have given you. (laughs) To whom much is given, much is required. Now, I just did that to show you the humor. Here's the real parable. They heard these things. He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. The minute he stepped in the city of David, they thought the kingdom of God's going to appear now. He's going to do some big miracle and And he told them this parable. A nobleman went to a faraway country to receive kingly power and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten pounds and said to them, Trade with these until I come. But his citizens hated him. They sent an embassy after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingly power, he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by trading. Well, the first one came before him. Lord, your pound has made 10 pounds more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over 10 cities. The second one came in saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds for me. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another one came in saying, Lord, here's your pound. I kept it away, hidden in a napkin. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you out of your own mouth, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money into the bank? And at my coming, I should have at least collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the pound from him and give it to that one who has 10 pounds. And they said to him, Lord, 
He has 10 pounds. I tell you that to everyone who has will be more given. But to him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them before me. Okay, this is talking about judgment, final judgment. There is going to be one, like we say in the Nicene Creed. He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We see all the great works of art. The living are going up. The dead are going down for all eternity. There is eternity. You'll be somewhere for all eternity. This guy, Michelangelo, is in the Sistine Chapel where the cardinals vote for the next pope. I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have listened. He's going down for Angelico's vision of hell. Michelangelo going down to Hades. The last judgment at the Duomo in Florence, you look up and it's layer upon layer. The whole thing is the final judgment. So the people who couldn't read could just look up at mass and see the final judgment. And they thought a lot about life after this. We don't in our materialistic culture. We've got everything we need. We got all the comfort. We don't think about this next life. Jesus, the king, left the throne room of God at the right hand of the Father, to come and be a human. A baby human started. He stayed for 33 years to become a human king. And the people didn't want him as their king. In fact, they crucified their king. And they hung it up on a sign in all three languages, in Greek, in Latin, in Hebrew. We have no king but Caesar, they said. He went away again, but he promised he'd be coming back. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He paid a big price to go away. He ransomed us. It was a high price to become king of a new kingdom, and we're his new subjects, his faithful subjects. And when he comes back again, he is going to want to know what you did with the Holy Spirit pounds that he showered upon you, the spiritual gifts he blessed you with. Did you use the gifts I gave you, and did you use them for the world, or did you use them for my kingdom? How did you multiply them? How many souls are you bringing with me? Who did you tell me about? What did you do for my kingdom's advancement? Or did you just wrap up the gifts and put them in your napkin and never use them to multiply my kingdom? We're all going to be asked, please multiply your Holy Spirit gifts for his kingdom's purpose. That's what he's asking us today, whatever they are. And don't say on that day before the Lord, don't say, Sharon didn't tell us that. (laughs) Unwrap your napkin, use your gifts, whatever they are, for the greater glory of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you for your word again today. It's so powerful. We want to run to you, Jesus. We want to keep our eyes focused on you. We want to not be of the world. We want to live in the world, but not be of the world. We want to think of eternal things, lasting things, forever things. We want to spend the rest of eternity with you. And you've given us the Holy Spirit that lives inside each and every one of us that helps us do that. You've showered us with gifts and talents and pounds and pounds and pounds and pounds. And we praise you and we thank you and we ask for the inspiration and the obedience to use those talents for your kingdom's glory. For you are Lord now and forever. Amen. You just heard the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke, chapters 18 and 19, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.